Welcome to the 19th episode of the Rain Race Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the upcoming F1 Silly Season. We're going to be talking about news in the World Endurance Championship and IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. We're going to round it all off with some race recaps. I'm Chris Aurelio. This is Rain Race. Let's go. Episode 19 of the Rain Race Podcast here. I'm joined... Finally back alongside with Kyle Cuthbertson. What's up? <laughs> All right. And uh, also here again, Kevin Rollins. Hi. And because uh, we are following a weekend of racing where he happened to be attending alongside Kyle, so I figured we could use his input. I, I did mention Why that. is he special? I don't know, because he's not a, I mean, he's been here two episodes ago, but he's here again. David Land is back. There's been a whole lot of news. I'm kind of surprised you asked me on. I don't know if we're going to have a lot to talk about. Right. I, I can sense a, a tinge of sarcasm in that. Um, anyway, so I just want to start off here. Um, on this podcast, I mean, don't know if you can tell because I'm a pretty monotone, subtle guy, as these uh-huh. Kevin and Kyle like to point out all the time. <laughs> but uh, we, we do like to have some fun on this podcast. Um but there's a time when you've got to put the serious mask on and sort of just talk about um, things with a little bit of concern. Obviously, I'm talking about Robert Wickens' incident two days ago at Pocono. And obviously, as racing fans, racing drivers, uh, they assume that risk, and it's brought up all the time. It's in a completely different league from any other sport that you'll see out there. Um, I mean, when the helmet visor goes down, anything can happen. And while we always hope uh, to never see anything like this, unfortunately, it ends up being the case sometimes. Nothing is inevitable. Obviously, when something like this does come up, you want to treat it with uh, some concern. But I just want to read off the press release from IndyCar. Uh, At the time this is being recorded, this was from two hours ago. Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports driver Robert Wickens continues to be treated at Lehigh Valley Hospital, Cedar Crest, following injuries sustained in the ABC Supply 500 at Pocono Raceway on Sunday. An MRI was instrumental in revealing the most appropriate surgical course, and Wickens is undergoing surgery Monday evening for a spinal injury. And last night we also had uh, some press release go out related to uh, lower extremities, right arm, and spine injuries. So, obviously, Kyle and David, you were both there for that race. Um, the fan response to it, obviously, at the track was very shocked. Um, while it's not completely unprecedented that we've seen a car fly up in the air at Pocono, in fact, it happened in just 2015 with Kimball. Um, I just want to get your take first off. We'll start off with Kyle here on um, just first immediate thoughts after the incident. Well, while it was happening, I was sitting next to Matty Faust, who's a Hunter Ray fan, and me and him uh, were obviously going crazy. We kind of, when you saw the accident happening into turn two, you kind of, when they were side by side, you kind of expected Hunter Ray to go around and then nothing else. And when we saw Hunter Ray around, we thought, you know, Wickens would drive on by. And then uh, from my vantage point, I could see the car, the, the red top, the chrome, hard to miss to go up in the air and then. I remember I screamed and I screamed just out of uh, just my response. I just yelled and I was just in shock. I think me and Matt Faust were silent for a couple minutes after it. And uh, Dave's perspective, he said he couldn't see it and he saw it on the TV. But from where we were, I could see over into the uh, 
tunnel turn there, and I, I, I had my phone recording it. I had the TV screen to look at, and I remember clearly uh, seeing it with my own eyes. And it, it was, it's, it was truly terrifying. It's the first time that I've ever been at the track during something like this. Every time I've seen, I've been there for a big accident. We kind of just knew right after the fact if they were okay or not. And you know, when it, one of the biggest things was the track screens that they were showing. They went straight to a camera angle of. Uh, Hinch's in car showing Hinch how he was uh, in distress, and you know, I've heard a couple people say this. We all thought that maybe he had seen something that we haven't before. We knew he hurt his hand. We thought maybe he saw something, you know, because we, we didn't know. We just simply didn't know, and we were just thinking the worst. And it was probably a good hour until we heard any sort of news, and it was just all shocking. I think a few people around me were almost in tears. Hell, five minutes after, you know, after. For a while, I was almost in tears. We were all worrying, and as as I said, as a racing fan, this is probably you know our anybody's biggest fears in the racing industry is for something like this to happen. But it, it happens, and we live in a racing world where you know, we kind of uh, falsely believe that this is safe because it is safer than it used to be. But times like these is when you remember this. Never going to be one hundred percent safe, David. Your uh, your take on these? I know you made an entire video, and as per usual, I'll link that. At the I top might have right just watched YouTube, David but, for an hour talk about this, but. but well, yeah, just quick opinions on everything that went down uh, yesterday, at least in terms of the incident. Um, again, like Kyle said, I did not have a direct view of it. Uh, probably, thankfully, so. Uh, so I pretty much saw the same thing that the TV audience saw. Uh, I do remember, or as they were going side by side in that corner, I, I just remember thinking to myself, I'm like, this isn't going to work. Back out, back out, back out. Fortunately, he never backed out, and they made contact. And I remember just going, oh, man, he turned him. You know, it was like, it was like uh, he got him in the wall, you know. And then on that first angle, you kind of, looking back from Hunter Ray's car, you kind of didn't realize Wickens was in involved more than just you know uh, turning him around and then the cut to the an incredibly violent impact um the incredible violence of it uh really really was shocking to everyone uh i had a few uh people who were at their first time in pocono around me and they were i mean this is a lap seven and uh, and you have a very violent accident like that i mean it's it's not fun uh and it's certainly not fun Kyle said you had the weight, but I, I will say, and I didn't actually even say this in my video, but my, my immediate first thought was um, I was encouraged. The uh, The roll bar was intact, very clearly intact. It didn't appear that the car ever uh, rotated a cockpit uh, towards the fence because as we've seen in the past, that's, that's where the uh, life-threatening uh, damage is usually done. Um... Then, you know, the weight started getting longer and longer, and it started feeling a lot like it was in 2015 uh, when uh, Justin Wilson was killed. And, and the helicopter as well, I think that was a pretty uh, worrying uh, thing when you hear they're firing the helicopter up. You think, um, yeah, f uh, th these are injuries that cannot be treated at the infield medical center. They're probably pretty serious one way or the other. Um so I had the thought that I was like, 
maybe it's just a back injury, or maybe there's a back injury involved here, and they can't just, uh, you know, use an ambulance uh, because of uh, potential complications. So it turned out, at least in, from my original estimation, as uh, the scenario that I kind of was, and and I was very thankful and very relieved when they uh, did that uh, awaken alert thing. I think a lot of more people were as well. In fact, the crowd at once. Once we knew he was all right, the crowd spirits lifted, and uh, they were ready to see a 500 mile race. It was really, it was it was something. It was something. Yeah, we'll be touching on the rest of that race later in the episode, but I just wanted to get that out of the way at the beginning, uh, because if we don't get the serious stuff out of the way now, it probably won't be able to turn back down to that level at the end of the episode. But moving on to a more uh, not really cheery level, but just more of a neutral, interesting level here. We're going to talk about the F1 silly season uh, because, well, part of this came out before the episode that Kevin and I last recorded, but I don't know how. I completely forgot to put this in the it was outline. Three well, uh, I think it was like two, something like that. Yeah, but you're partially correct on that one. Um, but we're going to start off here with Ricardo moving to Renault. And. I certainly wasn't really expecting that. I mean, there was obviously talks about him going around. We heard Ferrari first, and we heard McLaren. Um, I, don't, I personally never really heard Renault come up in the talks. Um, so we, we saw that he was looking at possibly leaving Red Bull. Um, but, yeah, that Renault uh, announcement kind of caught me off guard. Uh, so he's going to be staying with the same power unit manufacturer that he's with this year. Uh, obviously Red Bull switching to Honda Power next year. Now, how that'll pan out for them, we'll have to see down the road. Um, but yeah, again, just around the table here, Kevin, uh, your initial impressions, even though this was two plus weeks ago now, on Ricardo moving to uh, Renault Sport for next year. Everybody's acting like it's going to be like the end of Daniel Ricardo. It's not. Renault took over from a pretty suck-ass team. Or... Uh, they pretty much evolved from Lotus, which was a suck-ass team. No, they, and they weren't. Lotus, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Lotus in 2012 was a race-winning team. Even in 2014, they were they were getting a podium, I think, in 2004. I mean... 14, they were a terrible team. And then Renault took over, and they've gotten better and better as they have progressed. And they have progressed faster than most of the midfield to where now they the are three. the class of the midfield. So, they're never going to be the top three, though. They're not going to be at the top three immediately. I can see it down the road, but Ricardo has a lot to bring to the table when it comes down to it. And I think it's a good move for him. I think Red Bull's going to suffer with the Honda. They won't. Um, they'll have their good tracks, but a majority of the schedule, they'll suffer. So I think it's a good move for Ricardo to keep himself relevant. And, you know, I, it's a win-win situation, really. Honda plus Adrian Newey at Red Bull is going to be amazing. And what does Renault have? Renault is probably the worst engine on the grid. And you have the Renault engine. And Renault, and they're just going to be in the midfield like they are. And I think Red Bull going to Honda and being the only Honda manufacturer, I think that's more of a of a plus. But that's, that's, that's just me. Uh, David, any opinions on that uh, transfer right there? Uh, I believe Ricardo has made an Alonzo tier career decision in F1. Uh, as Kyle pointed out, the Renault engine has been the weakest uh, probably this season overall. 
Uh, I count. Now, many people have uh, tried to correct me in the comments when I made my opinions about this, uh, that Renault has race wins. Yes, they do. An Adrian Newey chassis. I, I think exactly. I credit Red Bull wins to Adrian Newey way more than I do Renault. I mean, the best case scenario here is that Ricardo le uh, elevates Re Renault as well so that there are four factory teams racing for the victories. Uh, but I see this as, like Kyle said, Renault staying in the midfield, Ricardo, uh, you know, battling with the Perez's and, uh, and uh, uh, the signs of the world rather than racing for uh, the wins like he has been the last few seasons. I was going to say one thing. The big winner of this news is Renault because they got a big star in Ricardo, and I think Ricardo's definitely going to, you know, bring them up. Kinberg is a strong know. driver pairing too. Yeah, they're still going to. Oh. They're still, but there's going to be a stronger midfield team. That's why I didn't say anything in the beginning because I knew David and I had literally the same opinions on this. I I think give the Renault Ricardo thing a year or two, and they're going to be the class of the midfield, if not clinging on to the coattails of the big three i'll bet you 20 bucks what do you think is going to happen to red bull though kevin that that's the question here is it well, a step I, forward or a step back for daniel step back honestly i think red bull is going to fade back to the midfield well i feel like Ricardo, no, performance wise performance wise next year i think it's a step back but i feel like right now with the direction red bull's taking i don't know if ricardo just thought there wasn't much progress for him to make there Whereas if he goes to a full, uh, I guess, I don't want to say factory-backed, because I mean, F1's really a, a shaky world of, of what teams are factory-backed and not. But, uh, I mean, I feel like this move to Renault is kind of just him, like you said, David, trying to make a statement, just like Alonzo did with the McLaren move, um, where it's obviously a step down in performance, but there's hope and ambition that it'll be a better decision in the long run. Um now, personally, I'm not sure. I don't really have any data to back whether or not that'll be a good decision or not. Um, but I think that that's definitely the path he's trying to take right now. So the next big thing that's probably the biggest news for the F1 silly season. Uh, there's no hiding it at this point because it's also slightly old news at this point. But Fernando Alonso... Alonso hates F1. going to IndyCar. Well, there you go. <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> get to announce the legitimate F1. announcement yet. Did <laughs> All right. Anyway, Alonzo. fitting. That's fitting. Alonzo announced his retirement uh, from, from Formula, Formula One. One at the moment. Now, I just want to point out that he said there's a possibility he'll come back. Um, should McLaren? Now, it's kind of weird the way he said this because he said there's a possibility he'll come back if McLaren can step up their game pace-wise. But there is also a lot back. of people saying that his relationship with McLaren seems to be done. So. Him making that slight comment is just kind of a little bit weird to me because um, he did say he'll keep his eye open on an F1 return if McLaren uh, is able to step up their pace. And now, obviously, this opened up quite a few doors. First of all, it opened up a door at McLaren. Uh, but Actually, well, yeah. More on the speculation side, it opened up a door on where he goes next. And... 95% uh, of the people, if you were to put a poll on Twitter right now, would say he is going to go to IndyCar. IndyCar. Um, um, Robin Miller told us he's going to IndyCar, so I'll take that. Well, <laughs> the exact Robin quote Miller's is... Uh, the, but <laughs> can you give me a source that isn't 8-up? 
<laughs> David, tell him the quote. <laughs> I said, is Fred coming next year? He looked at me, he said, yeah. And they thought about it, and he said, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love the impersonation. Well, I'll give you a plus for that. Uh, plus. Because we grew up in the same part of the country, it's very easy for me to impersonate people from yeah. uh, from Indiana. This is yeah. true. Don't go start going into the roadsters where that golden days in my day. <laughs> but, I'm waiting on David to impersonate me. Yeah, not not in this. I don't episode, know if I hopefully. can do it, Kevin. That's tough. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I just want to talk about the the doors that could open at IndyCar. Some of the names that we've uh, that have been thrown out. We have Harding Racing, we have Andretti, <laughs> and we have Ed Carpenter. Those are the three that we've seen the most of. Now, this is but where it gets interesting. Really going to Ed Carpenter because he followed Ed Carpenter on Twitter. All <gasps> right, Kevin. The point where it gets interesting is now there are people saying that Harding could end up being sort of a, an Andretti feeder series where Andretti could stick their Indy Lights drivers, but also possibly stick Alonzo in there. But Harding's a Chevy right now, and Andretti's Honda, and there have been people saying Alonzo doesn't want to be racing in a Honda again. There have been people saying Honda doesn't want Alonzo. There have been people saying Honda's fine with Alonzo. It, it's a very mixed bag of speculation and there's not too too much uh hard evidence because alonzo likes to keep everything hush and let people fight it out on social media um, i can understand why honda doesn't want alonzo and you know feel free to cut this but if i said that this podcast sucked you wouldn't want me on this podcast yeah it's a good point yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a good point but, but yes, but it, to be fair, it's two separate divisions of Honda. I mean, you have Honda Japan, which was in charge of the power unit for F1. Yes. You have HPD, Honda of America, who's in charge of in the IndyCar side of things. So, I mean, I mean David, you, you talked about... Didn't you bring this up, David? You said it was really Honda of America said, no, we don't really have a problem with him running um, Honda engines in IndyCar. Yeah, because Honda America is really the, the driving force behind the Indy program. Now, it didn't used to be. When uh, when it, when Honda originally entered, entered IndyCars, and I think all the way up until the early days of the IRL, it was Honda Japan footing the bill. That's why there was races in Motegi. That's why you got amazing drivers like Shinji Nakano and uh, Tor Takagi coming over here and, and driving. Muto. Hideki Muto was kind of the last of those drivers. But, um, yeah, eventually Honda America took that over. So there is a divide. Uh, the Honda program in F1 is, is the Honda Japan project at the moment. And, um, obviously, they are none too pleased with Fred. <laughs> Rightly so, like Kevin stated. Uh, when you say a product sucks, when you're representing said product uh, publicly and as emphatically publicly as Fernando did, uh, especially when Honda of Japan made the Indy 500 happen for Fernando to try to keep him happy. Um, yeah, uh, you could understand why Honda of Japan doesn't want anything to do with him. But like you said and like I've said and like people who actually know what they're talking about, like Marshall Pruitt said, the Honda America is like, we see the dollar signs here. If we can put Fernando in the car, we're going to do what, what it takes to make it happen. And anyway. also... The uh, the other thing I want to point here is that the closest thing we have to any complete hard evidence, and we're not even completely sure that this is 
confirmed yet. In fact, you said it's not confirmed. That uh, I think it was September 5th that uh, first off, Jenna Fryer, I think, was the first one to report it. And then Racer yeah. picked it up, saying that Alonzo would be testing with Andretti at Barber. The Honda engine? Yeah, I heard Obviously. that. All I know is that Jordan Taylor would be a way bigger draw and more people. We'd be talking about oh. Jordan Taylor if he was coming. But, um, no, uh, yeah, uh, this is still unconfirmed because it's Fred being Fred. And I think, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Fred uh, is a clickbait fan because that seems like all he generates is clickbait. And I will gladly uh, admit to uh, being a part of the Fred. So, Fred, if you're listening. I don't think he uh, is. I don't think he's listening to this channel. <laughs> if he is and you want to be on the show. Head now, us up on Twitter. He, right might, he might be listening because his biggest fan's on the show. Well. Well. Enzo. <laughs> I mean, he's my favorite car car driver. They must be friends. Oh, no. <laughs> Bandwagon Kid returns. No. Oh, no. Is that an exclusive? Oh, no. He's That's coming it. back, I'm but only for back. this. Uh, anyway, uh, so I'm going to move on from Alonzo and move on to his replacement. Carlos Sainz uh, took over Ooh. his spot at McLaren. Um, that I mean, I don't know if there's too much to touch on there compared to what we just went over because that's a pretty set in stone. Uh, well, if you would have looked at it beforehand, you would have said that science was next in line because keep in mind he's still a Red Bull driver. So, you know, before the surprise announcement that he's going to McLaren, it would have made logical sense that he was going to Red Bull alongside the Stappen. Now, this is a what we call a patented brain race leeway. Uh, into Ooh. Pierre Gasly. Yeah, it's returned. I don't think yeah. we've done one of those in a while. Uh, Pierre Gasly uh, filling in Dan Ricardo's spot at Red Bull. Um, now, he moved up the uh, the F1 ladder pretty quickly, although not as fast as Verstappen did. Actually, no, it's it's faster than Verstappen did, actually. Yeah. Because he just joined Toro Rosso at the end of, uh, towards the end of last season. Yeah, he jumped in at Malaysia last year for the first time. So Red Bull's complete driver pairing next year is Pierre Gasly and Max Verstappen uh, stays in his spot at the team. So that's probably actually the youngest driver lineup in F1 at the moment. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm pretty fair in saying uh, that you're not going to get a younger driver lineup than that. And I, I talked about how Ricardo wanted to make uh, sort of a statement by going to Renault, hoping that it's going to sort of dictate where his future goes and hopes of a more promising future, more uh, more options in the future. And I kind of see that Red Bull is trying to go down a similar path, uh, similar but different. Their path seems like it's pretty set in stone right now. They want to get some young drivers in the top seats and try to develop them into world championship drivers in the future. Um, well, with Gassi being promoted, this actually puts Red Bull – Including, well, especially Toro Rosso in a very precarious position because Red Bull's been renowned for their young driver program, but their oldest in the ranks young driver right now is in Formula 3. So they really don't have anybody among their ranks to fill the spot. And also, it's rumored that Hartley's on his way out because he hasn't really shown much of anything. So, you know, there's a lot of speculation on where the drivers for Toro Rosso can come from since they really don't have anybody that's ready. See, I think Brennan Hartley is the biggest thing out of Gasly leaving stuff because uh, now that Red Bull has two young drivers, I don't, now that Gasly is in a Red Bull seat, 
I don't think Toro Rosso has enough to fill two spots. I think they they'll be able to replace Gasly, but I don't think they'd be able to replace uh, uh, Hartley unless they took from somebody, uh, some other team's development group as like a Lando Norris or someone. Yeah. I mean, and of course Lando Norris was on the verge of being promoted to uh, McLaren anyways. Yeah. I mean, like that was everybody's guess on who's going to replace science. He could still replace Van Dorn because he's almost on his way out. And then this is, that was a thought too is like they said that van dorn before alonzo left they said that van dorn would have been on his way out so now that yeah, is he van still dorn, on his way out or is said, he not? they literally said that van dorn's future depended on alonzo this was quoted from zach brown saying that if alonzo yeah. stayed van dorn was out if alonzo was out van dorn stayed but i'm pretty sure they were anticipating promoting um say Lando Norris so they'd have someone with experience in the seat but now that they have Sainz who has been in the series quite a bit longer I think Van Dorn's still out I don't know I think Van Dorn and uh Sainz uh well that's true Van Dorn was a rookie last year I still think I still think Van Dorn is a rookie last year how he was ahead of Alonso quite a bit and then this year hasn't been too far behind he still hasn't been at Fernando's pace this season but I think you know you get into those situations where uh, when you have your top driver like Fernando, I bet the car is more suited to something that Fernando would drive to, like a Van Dorn, which obviously is why you know Alonso would do better than Van Dorn. Um, so I think if you gave, you know, kept giving Van Dorn time, he'd be a really good second driver like a Kimi, you know. So I, I, I would be, a sh- I would be quite sad to actually see him go. I thought last year, but specifically last year, I think he did pretty good to be able to earn that seat. And remember, he filled in for Alonzo in 2016 when he had his concussion, and he did a fantastic job when he raced at Barney. Yeah, I forgot that happened. I forgot yeah. that happened. I forgot, that was the first race Van Dorn did, and I was like, yeah, that kid's really good. Yeah, that's when he literally shoved his foot in the door. Yeah, and he, he did pretty good over that crappy Honda, the ultimate crappy Honda. But yet, Lando Norris is still showing a lot more potential than Van Dorn has, because Norris has been very competitive in Formula 2. He's won races. Well, to He's, be fair, Van Dorn did the same. Yeah. But here's the thing that I, I said is the development problem in F1, where it would kind of make sense if McLaren joined IndyCar to kind of use IndyCar as a development thing, because you got these teams of people like Norris, you know, see like Pasco Verline, you know, um, you know, when they're shoving drivers out and kicking them to like DTM or other series. I think maybe if a team like McLaren joined an IndyCar and put Lando Norris in IndyCar while their F1 seats are filled, and then when an opening comes in, they ship them back to F1, I think I mean, that maybe give them a motive to IndyCar, you know? I mean, Because so, they Norris. do have a problem where a guy like Lando Norris is ready for F1, but they have two seats that are full. So then what do yeah. you do with the guys? And that's I mean, why Lando- Pascal Verline doesn't have a ride right now. Because the lower seats are pretty much filled, which I means kind of BS that Ericsson has right, but it's another topic for another day but it's kind of bs that verline was in the mercedes development group but then he gets replaced by a guy like botas so i mean well, there are all these development did, problems in really f1 well mercedes power yes but there are these there are these problems and development problems in f1 is what i'm saying well if, would you like if you were mercedes and you picked a guy who had made plenty of good results with your power plants at a lower team versus a guy who's Oh, I'm not saying it's a stupid decision. I'm just saying if Verline is in your development program, oh, yeah, then take Botas from Williams and then give a bunch of money to Williams to say, hey, put Verline in this seat because we still want to keep him around. 
because he I mean, was in the development ladder. For I can Mercedes. see why they wanted Botas over Verline, but Verline did get screwed. And he did get point, screwed. That's what I'm saying. Is drivers are getting screwed now because they're going to take experience over that. But now Verline point, is left out of an F1 seat, even though he did pretty damn good. My point on Lando Norris is the fact that he, just by looking at him, just by observing, he is Alonzo's protege. He has worked very closely with Alonzo, and you know he's almost like Alonzo's handpicked successor, it seems, because yes. they have worked that closely together. I mean, look how closely they worked at the Rolex Twenty Four when they were teammates. They both did exceptionally well, and then ever since then they've had a really close bond. And Alonzo's been there assisting him when Norris has been testing the McLaren F One, and so on and so on. So it almost seems like Norris is the handpicked successor at McLaren for Alonzo. So basically, in in uh, just to summarize that, Lando Norris is going to be replacing Landor Vandor next year, or he is going to IndyCar, in my opinion. So, <laughs> and Norris is very flexible. I mean, we've seen how well he did at the Rolex. He was yes almost doing better than Kyle Larson did when he was with Ganassi. That's not hard to do, though. Well, just saying. I, I, you know what? As somebody who doesn't particularly like Larson, really fast. Yeah, you're taking a, an oval guy into. You're taking an oval. But he did way. phenomenal in the night shifts at the Rolex. He did an amazing job, even though Dixon did carry the team. That's a topic for another day. Yeah, yeah so you're does talking Dixon about not carry the team? <laughs> Dixon did too. Now, when does he not carry the team? Is oh, what I'm saying. Okay. okay. The GTE from- car never driven it before, and he outdid every single one of the other four drivers. Yeah. Uh, last thing I wanted to bring up was that Lance Stroll's father bought out Force India. Now that team was in pretty uh, heavy financial, uh, pretty heavy financial complications. It seemed. In fact, I even saw one report saying that they were planning on pulling out uh, as close as after the Singapore Grand Prix, I believe, uh, so that they could have been preparing to pull out of the series after that. If they couldn't find a buyer. Uh, of course, Lance Stroll's father, who's also named. Well, it's Lawrence, but shortened to Lance. Uh, bought out Force India, and that pretty much solidifies a spot for Lance Stroll to go to Force India next season. Uh, Rest in peace, Force India. Well, can we talk about the real casualty in this situation? And it's something that not a lot of people have been talking about. Is the fact that Williams just lost their primary financial backer? and are losing Martini as well at the end of the year. That's true. And I was going to bring up who would replace Stroll at Martini at uh, Williams, but that's speculation on its own. Bring I'm back Pascal Berline. Try to, well, I was thinking that personally, but I'm going to try to avoid or the Oka. speculation basis. Still a factory Mercedes driver. Yeah, that's true. Um, we'll have to see how that all pans out. Uh, but I think it's t- finally time to move off F1, though, uh, and on to something else. This should be a little bit quicker because there's not too much to go over and not too much to debate, uh, but World Endurance Championship. So I'm just going to quickly touch on the 2019-2020 WEC calendar here, uh, which was unveiled at Silverstone. Now, round one will be the uh, four hours of Silverstone. Yes, you heard me correct, four hours. Uh, they shortened that race alongside... No, it's not. Silverstone, I'd argue, is one of the better races. This year it wasn't that exciting. And we no, they said that because one. of traffic. Oh, because of traffic. I thought you said because of traffic. They were literally blaming it on traffic and daylight. Okay. 
Um, second round will be in Fuji uh, in October of 2019. Uh, that's still a six-hour race. Uh, third race will be the four hours of Shanghai. That's the second race that's been moved down to four hours. And then they'll be doing the eight hours of Bahrain. Round five, they're returning to Sao Paulo uh, for the six hours of Sao Paulo. And that is in February of 2020. Uh, and then they'll be going uh, to Sebring. They are returning to Sebring for the 1,000 miles of Sebring, running alongside IMSA. I'm Which assuming is going at least to be an eight-hour race. Uh, well, it's going to be an eight-hour race. Yeah, likely. I don't know. We'll have to see. Depends on the amount of yellows and everything. Uh, and then they go to Spa-Francorchamps in May 2020 again and rounding it all off at Le Mans. Um, so there's a couple of clashes on the schedule. Uh, the first one being uh, the first w major one being uh, the four hours of Shanghai clashes with uh, the Macau Grand Prix, what it was the Macau GT World Cup. Um, now, don't ask me how the FIA manages to clash two events that are under the same sanctioning group, but they've done it again. Um, they already said then, that there are talks, though, to hopefully eliminate that, whether Shanghai is moving the date or Macau, I'm assuming it's going to be Shanghai moving their date. But obviously, with a GT race taking away uh, that many WEC drivers, it wouldn't really be good for either series. Uh, so they're going to try to avoid that. The Six Hours of Fuji also has a clash, and that one is with Petit Le Mans. Kevin, no, I'm going to try to keep you from not getting so heated right now. Uh, but How do they do that again when they know that all the drivers well, are so much against it? Do they not pay attention? Well, FIA has had a thing against Petit Le Mans since at least 2011. <laughs> Somebody in, in a Brazelton gas station must have pissed off Gerard Nouveau. That's the only thing I can... They probably spit in his freaking breakfast sandwich or something. I can, that's the only thing I can assume. Because they haven't I been back I since 2011. They haven't been interested bathroom. in scheduling around it since 2011. I'm freaking glad I saw the, uh, the real cars show up at, P at Petit in 2011. Because... Uh, it's uh, so, so unfortunate that uh, they can't... Hey, instead of Shanghai, why don't we run at Road Atlanta? Whoa, what a novel concept that would be. The last major clash would be the six hours of Sao Paulo, which clashes with the 12 hours of Bathurst, another major GT3 race. Uh, so, again, doesn't really look good on either side because we've seen it before when there's been clashes with Formula E and WC, uh, another FIA uh, sanction series so uh, we've seen it with formula one when they had to move uh over the petite weekend it's uh, it's just crazy i don't know how they keep managing to clash over weekends from their own sanctioning body um but bathurst is not an fia sanctioned race uh however that one is still uh being scheduled next to Sao Paulo, and that's obviously going to hurt if it stays like that because you have tons of GT3 drivers over there, or tons of GT drivers in general, I should say, because it is an endurance race and there are multiple drivers per team. Um, yeah, not too much to go over on the rest of the schedule. One thing I'd like to point out is that there are no repeat tracks on the schedule like we saw in this season, uh, where Le Mans and Spa have two races on the same season. Uh, now it's all different tracks again with the return of Sao Paulo and Bahrain. 
so yeah, it's pretty much all I have to go over there on the WEC schedule. And last bit of news here in this episode, I was dragged on quite long, and we still have the recaps to go. A um, couple of switches in IMSA prototype. Uh, Pierre Juan Mathiasen switched from Eligier to an Orica. Now, boys. This pretty much means that for the full season now, uh, in the LMP2 class, correct me if I'm wrong, but it is, in, it is a full Orica spec class uh, in LMP2 full-time next year in IMSA. I well, believe... if you don't want that, encourage your manufacturers to build better cars. Well, that, but you or also... don't write rules where they literally can't develop the cars. Oh, homologation, sorry. You can't tap on the car with a hammer, otherwise that's out of homologation. Oh, I actually agree with David on that one. Go back, go back two episodes if you want to see the full prototype debate. Um, but I we also had... That. that was stupid that they disqualified Rebellion for that. Yeah, well, I... I would agree. Yes. Kevin on my side with one little statement. <laughs> More unlikely uh, news that came out of last week, and this came really quick, um, is that Junkos will be racing full season in a Cadillac DPI next year. He showed up at, uh, what track was it that he showed up to? It was Road America, right? Which was yeah. only a couple of weeks ago, saying that he was interested in in the future, and then Last week, there was only like a two, three-week gap in between. And he says, full season Cadillac next year. Um, Cadillac haven't had as much success this season as they did last year, um, but still a very strong manufacturer, and it's nice to see another privateer there. And I think that could be a good program to work alongside their IndyCar program, sort of develop the drivers. I know we've seen multiple IndyCar rookies this year swapping between um, I, I, Renee Bender, for example, just raced WEC at Silverstone. Didn't go that well for him. Um, I think he bend it too. Yes, he did indeed. Um, under slow zone, actually, under a local yellow. Um, <laughs> but, slow zone procedure. Slow zone procedure. But uh, so yeah, that was a very really unprecedented uh, news announcement that nobody was really truly expecting. I don't think. And then also. We have Dragon Speed, United Autosport, and Ford all evaluating future DPI programs. Um, now, I just want to quickly touch base on this because I said in our episode where we talked about the prototype uh, split, actually it was the last episode with Kevin, that I thought it would hurt the series overall. I didn't really see a need to split the classes up. And I said the only reason why it would be logical to split them up is if IMSA was pretty much just trying to completely abandon the LMP2 global spec concept and just try to get everybody into a DPI formula. And it's pretty clear with these recent announcements that that's probably the direction they're going for. Uh, I think that it's it's definitely smart on their hands if that is their intentions uh, because it seems to be working, obviously. I still don't really understand why because you kind of just screwed out some guys like United from running. I mean, they can still run Petit this year and fight for an overall, but they kind of just lost interest in running the rest of the season uh, if they're not going to be able to come over next year for the Rolex 24 and fight for the overall, uh, unless they build a DPI car, of course. Uh, so I think it's interesting. It's going to open up the doors. I even saw somebody saying uh, Core uh, would be smart to go ask Porsche if they could pull uh, an ESM and just say, listen, We'll build That's the car. We just need your permission to put Porsche badging on it. Um, 
So that I mean, it definitely opens a lot of doors up for some diversity in the future. I'm all for it. Again, I'm not completely for the uh, the prototype split, um, but as I've said now three times, it's definitely interesting what we'll see in the future of this class. The only positive I can really take away from a P2 DPI split is if they let the DPI cars off the leash. If they yes. start opening up development areas, allowing them to start really turning up the wick and uh, may the best car win. Now, yes. I'm worried about that for several different reasons, most notably the fact that Daytona's insurance doesn't let them run more than 200 miles an hour on the banking and all this other nonsense that, uh, unfortunately, we're kind of stuck with in modern racing. But we'll see. I, I would certainly like to see kind of more GTP and less LMP2. I mean, currently, now the DPIs are sort of a LMP 1.5. And let's face it, the global spec LMP2 cars, it works in Europe, but it's broken here. And, you know, I'm okay with it. I mean, we've seen people transition over. Yes, we had to sacrifice a couple teams, but I think it's going to make for a pretty decent show continuing next year. And everybody acts like it's a huge change. But when we look at the Rolex 24 next year, we're probably going to say this isn't that different than what we've been used to. The problem with all of this now is that the there's less opportunities. Fernando would not have been able to run the Rolex this year if he had to be affiliated with a manufacturer. The fact that he could just run a generic Ligier Gibson allowed all of that, allowed United Autosports to essentially bring two cars. Uh, we know the Jackie Chan, Jota team can't run ne- or doesn't want to run next year if they can't go for the overall, so that limits them to essentially finding a Cadillac, which with the Hunkos announcement now, where where's where's an extra Cadillac going to come from unless they're paying Spirit to Daytona to run their drivers? I mean, the 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 opportunities are now shrunk, at least for now. I mean, of customer options out there in a DPI uh, exclusive formula. I mean, yeah, that is the negative. I mean, you talk about the Jota Sport cars; they literally ship those cars from Bahrain from the WEC race to Wayne Taylor's shop in Brownsburg, Indiana. Then they shipped them to, and they just put new number panels on them and made some adjustments to the cars and then shipped those to Daytona. That is the negative because you now it kind of makes it uh, very unlikely that a team will literally pluck a car from WEC, give it to an IMSA team to do some slight modifications to it for IMSA spec, and then just go to Daytona because they can't compete for an overall win. I'll, I'll put it this way. Daytona finally uh, kind of reestablished itself in the last few years as an international event once again, which it really hadn't been since the 90s, and now it's back to being a national event. And probably, I would, if I had to guess, Sebring will probably take its place back as kind of the event everybody wants to win in American sports car racing because the Rolex will turn into such an American-centric event. Uh, moving on to the race recaps, finally, pretty far into this episode already, but uh, we're just going to take these in order, uh, starting off with the WC race at Silverstone. Uh, now, I'm not going to go over qualifying or anything for any of these races because we're going to try to keep this pretty short and concise, but start of the race, uh, pile up between uh, Rebellion and SMP. I Again. can't remember, Kevin, which numbers of the cars? It was the number... Yep. It was the number one and the number 17. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, right at the start, sort of just a mis- misjudgment 
Now, overall, that race was not very uh, interesting in the top class. And I give it two stars. We, we talked about uh, hopefully them making the class closer with EOT adjustments. It didn't really do anything. Somehow uh, they did the exact opposite. Yeah. It, well, to put it blatantly here, the two Toyotas had a four-lap advantage over the number three Rebellion at the finish. Um, and then they had a hundred-and-something lap deficit at the end. Yeah. Well, this is where it gets interesting because the both Toyotas were disqualified due to uh, skid block infractions on the under tray of the car. Uh, same thing that caught out Audi in 2016. Same thing that caught out the uh, 91 Porsche in this race as well. Um, which means that the number three Rebellion inherited the win of the race. First win, well, first win if you're counting it for a privateer. Uh, in the FIA WEC overall, and it's the first win for the number th- for the number three, as in the actual number since Spa 2012, aka the second WEC race ever. Obviously, hoping in the future, and I keep saying this, but I hope that WEC can learn lessons from the past and really put an effort to make these classes closer. I mean, it's just a poor look for the series, I think. If you're having Toyota pull such gaps, they're really in a unique situation that no other series can say they're in because they have such a wide diversity in the formulas and in the teams. Really just one factory team going up against a couple of privateers. You don't really see that on that scale uh, anywhere else, even in F1. Um, But yeah, hoping for the best when it comes to the next race in Fuji. Hopefully they can get those two a little bit closer. Uh, Not that it will necessarily matter, but how close is the championship now between Rebellion and Toyota? It's only a few points. I think the number three Rebellion is within like three or four points of the number eight Toyota. Yeah, because when you get disqualified, it's going to kill you massively. And also, Rebellion is within a couple points of Toyota and the Constructors' Championship now, too. Well, I mean... Per season here, we could have tortoise in the hair. You, you think about Sebring uh, coming up, and I think the next two races for the WEC. Of course, it's like the next eight months no, for the WEC. No, it's uh, Fuji, Shanghai, and then Sebring. But yes, close enough. Just from now. Okay, yeah. but but you can look at a Fuji as that's a race where you can have a monsoon hit in the middle of the race and uh, potentially take out a couple cars. Let's imagine one of them is a Toyota. You go to Sebring. Toyota has never, ever, ever raced there. Uh, Rebellion has. Several times, in fact. Oh, I mean, also look they at... They know that. how to prepare. Sebring's going to break the Toyota. I guarantee... If they show up. If, if they if show, they up, show I'm up, I'm still not well, convinced also, they're going to show I, up I Sebring. think they need to get testing hours in there before, because that car has never touched... Toyota themselves as a team has never touched Sebring. So, they really should... I mean, if they want to be serious in this championship... Now, I think that's that's overestimating it and everything, because... Uh, obviously, they'll likely still have that pace advantage going into the future races, unless there are some more massive changes made. But if they want to be logical and actually, I mean, especially because Sebring offers some bonus points that the other races don't, if they want to fight their absolute hardest, they should be going out to Sebring and putting in a test. Um, but I'm going to go over the rest of the finishing results in the classes here, just LMP2. Uh, 38 Jackie Jackie Chan DC Racing Orica uh, won over their sister 37 car uh, in GT Pro 
what I'd call the best class of that race. I mean, that was kind of just up to any manufacturer, really. Uh, BMW kind of hurt a little bit, but Aston was up there, so that was pretty cool to see at their home track before they ran into some issues. Uh, but AF Corsa, number 51, won in that class. And in GT Am, uh, it was another Porsche victory, the number 77 Dempsey Proton uh, Porsche, um, after the Project 1 Porsche got pulled in that race. So, that wraps up that. Uh, switching over to IMSA here, uh, the number 25 BMW M8 GT picked up their first win of the season. The first win in international competition for the M8. Uh, they finished ahead of the number 3 Corvette, uh, which inherited the point lead again because it was a poor day for the number 67 Ford, finishing second to last overall and in class. Um... So the title fight between Corvette and Ford sort of still rages on. Only a couple races left in the season. Now they're going to Laguna Seca. Uh, and is there another one between that and um, Petit Le Mans? I can't remember now. Uh, yeah, I'm like 90% sure. But if it's, if it's wrong, then, if it's wrong, then I ate my words. Um, in the GTD category, it was... Uh, a win for Lexus in 3GT Racing, the number 14 car. Kyle Marcelli and Dominic Bauman uh, in the Lexus RCF. Last thing of the episode, we're actually going to do a little bit uh, something special at the end of this. Just quick Are championship we? predictions. Yeah, I didn't even tell you about that, but there's th there's three races left after this. so It's like, it's like Christmas morning. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we'll get to that in a few minutes here. But Pocono, I've talked quite a bit. So, um, I mean, personally, Pocono, it was, for me, an okay race at best. I mean, obviously, after the lap seven incident, we uh, it was a green flag run all the way to the end. I don't think anybody could have ever predicted that in a million years. Uh, but everybody kind of just seemed to take it easy uh, after what happened uh, the second yeah. yellow flag. Um, the only other real notable thing, you know I'm going to point this out, Kyle, but um, Ray Hall and Piggott at the start uh, didn't even make it to the line before there was a pile. Oh, look out! A crash before the start of the race! <laughs> and uh, who Power was blaming... Or, Dixon Powers. was blaming power. Dixon was blaming power. power Ray, said Hall I have the data. Blame. Ray Hall didn't even blame power. That was Dixon that said that. I didn't say Ray Hall blamed power. I knew that it was. Yeah, Ray Hall, in the front, which, but what does say, that mean? But I will say, Piggott, if you watch Ray Hall's visor, Piggott, it just looked like he stomped on the brakes. And it didn't even look like Ray Hall was trying to time it. It looked like he was. Like they were all synchronizing going, and then Piggott just got on the brake. I don't think there's. Any way for Ray Hall to avoid that? So, my video, I'll say it here. They need to get rid of the two wide start at Pocono. They do. Do an indie style start, three wide, 100 rows between the rows, and I guarantee you the 100 safe rows start. between the rows. That's what you just said. 100, 100 feet between the rows. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. But they, I, they gave Ray Hall a contact, but I don't, I don't think anybody could avoid that, though. I. Maybe if they were like more spread it out, and he, you know, and if could have race control didn't tell him to pack up. <laughs> well, we when we restarted, we had like thirteen, like fourteen cars on the lead lap. Canon uh, went out because of uh, it was mechanical, and uh, we lost Piggott. 
because he couldn't come back. And Ray Hall was like four laps down. So we basically started out with ten cars on the lap on the lead lap, is what I'd say. This is what we started out with, and the a lot of the cars I, had to come into the pits and repair yeah. uh, debris. At Pagano, they true. were checking the front brake rotor on his car, and there were some major repairs that were done to the front of uh, Ed Jones's car. Right, and uh, I said this at the track because I Will Power and Alexander Rossi drove a flawless race. I have no clue how they lapped. The whole field like that. Because, like, it, it, David, you're at the race. You can kind of agree. Alexander Rossi and Power, they they basically flew away. But then... I've seen then, an like, IndyCar third, race like that in a long time. And then third place to, like, seventh was a great race. That was such a good... Fifth, the, like, third to seventh was such a good race. It, it was so entertaining just to watch third to seventh. And I don't understand how Power and Rossi got that far ahead. And then how the rest of the field were so packed up and had such a great battle. Maybe you think about Marco it. Marco was holding them up. No, That's Marco all, yeah, wasn't that, For a certain point. Look, if you think, think about it this way. The big Wiccans crash took out probably most of the people who would have contended yes. with uh, Rossi and Power at the front of the field. Everybody else probably, you know, had all the cars been in the race, probably been running somewhere between 7th and 15th. And considering the fact that pit stops are such an important part of Pocono, uh, it doesn't really surprise me uh, in the least bit that we saw the two kind of best super speedway drivers uh, and certainly the two teams that uh, look like every time we come to a super speedway, they're they're some of the fastest teams uh, who were able to pull away, especially when a lot of the competition... Uh, that again, you would see at the front of a super speedway. We saw we Hunter Ray runs up front at Pocono every single year, and Wickens uh, in Indy and uh, and especially Texas kind of proved that that he's got chops on the super speedways as well. So once you lost those guys from the race, you kind of lost anybody who was going to challenge Power or Rossi at the front. I think the biggest takeaway from Pocono, I mean, basically the recap is you know Rossi and Power took off. The one thing is we did get that exchange of the lead. Uh, a little bit past the halfway point, which made it a little, it made it more interesting. But, I mean, I think we all knew that it was going to be Rossi's race. But the big takeaways to me after the race is Rossi made it clear that he's still in the title contention. That you know Dixon's going to have to earn this fifth championship. He's not just going to walk away. And that uh, I talk about, I've talked about a few times, a few episodes um, on you know you get those championship drives. And I think Dixon had a championship drive at Pocono because at the beginning of the race he pitted and went back to pretty much the last place and on the start of the race and like the first stint he went from almost last to eighth and then when he was sitting in eighth the points was down to like 14 it was down to a lot and then through pit strategy and just running his race a clean race he finished third and now the points is 29 points so he had he definitely had a championship race where you know if he would have finished a few positions positions back it would have been a lot closer than it is now so the championship fight's heating up, and it's going to be fight night and gateway once again. Oh, I can't championship. wait. I'll say this. Dixon knows what to do. He realizes that, you know, he can't win the championship, but he could almost certainly lose it in one race. So, really, it's not about going out there and winning every single one. and But, you know, win's great. But... He's tr- pretty much doing damage control because if he can't win the race, which it was obvious he wouldn't, it's pretty much minimizing the amount of uh, chunks that Rossi took out of his championship. And he did that very well. I mean, 
he realized that he had a big gap in the middle of the season. And he's utilizing that. He's literally being patient about it, but at the same time, though, he's not letting himself lose too much. And he is having a very, very championship caliber, caliber run. He's doing a hell of a lot better than he did last year, and he had a phenomenal run last year, even without a sponsor. Well, here's where we get into championship predictions, because it's really going to come down, I think, to three guys, but I'm going to say it's only going to be two, and that's Dixon and Rossi. I'm, I know I'm playing it the boring way, but uh, you look at the three races that are coming up, and I think Gateway, I think that's a Rossi track. I think you look at the performance that he put down at Phoenix, uh, Gateway is not entirely similar, but I feel like Rossi, what you need at tracks like Gateway, and we saw last year when Newgarden put that pass on Pagano, you need a driver who's willing to take a chance, and you need a driver who's daring. And right now, Rossi's the one chasing. He's not the one being chased. And Dixon, for him to go out at Gateway and start throwing down moves like that, risking his car, I don't really think it would be in his best interest. So I certainly think that's something that we'll see Rossi trying to do similar to what he was doing back at Phoenix. Um, so I feel like that's going to be advantage Rossi at that track, close the gap up a little bit. It's just going to be a question of how much Dixon can hold on uh, and salvage points from that race. And then you go to Portland. That's a tricky one. I mean, if I had to pick one driver for that race, I'd say Newgarden, but I think he's out of this, not out of it, but I just don't think he's going to be up there altogether. Uh, you so I'm going to say double points, Mr. Aurelius. Uh, I'm not forgetting about <laughs> double points, but, but I, I don't know. I think that track's going to be a toss up. It really depends. Cause we haven't really had any previous races there in the past 10 years. Um, yeah, I think honestly that if anything, it would favor Dixon. I, I mean, I was sort of leaning towards Powers Dixon, but that's the, the biggest, that's the biggest toss up. And I'm just talking about the yeah. top two, obviously I'm not even talking about who's going to be uh, winning these races, but who I think has the advantage going out. But and Sonoma, then we get down to Sonoma. Sonoma, it's his, another top. Historically, what? it's it's definitely favoring Dixon, but oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a track overall that Rossi could really shine, and it's double points, like you said. So it could be really close. It's it's tricky because I really want to say Dixon for Sonoma as well, but I'm actually going to go Rossi's going to have the advantage at Sonoma. And it's going to come down to double points. I hate that it's going to come down to double points, but, I mean, that's that's uh, rules for You know you. what it's going to come down to? What's that? It's going to come down to that break lockup that Rossi had at Detroit. Yep. Hmm. Where the well, championship it... was decided. <laughs> well, if that's the case, Detroit. that'll certainly be a one for the storybooks, but... I, I will say this: in terms of promotion, this is a this is perfect for IndyCar. I mean, you have the guy who's been around forever versus the guy who almost was like an accident. I mean, this is like WWE esque crap. I mean, yeah. it really is. You got the guy who has been oh so successful, who has defined a generation of IndyCar drivers, and then you have the new guy, the guy who pretty much failed at everything else then he won the biggest race and ever since then he has stuck and he has been a fantastic driver do i need to channel my inner derek daily and tell you guys about this is why the car is great we have these real life human drama stories unfolding right in front of us and this is why motor racing and indie car is great do i need to sit here and start blurting that out no you don't 
Oh, but hey, you, you know what? Here, here's what I'm going to say, Chris. I think I'm a little bit on the opposite end of the spectrum to you as how I think this championship is going to play out. I I agree with you that Gateway is going to be a Rossi track. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins. Uh, we've also seen the pace of Dixon on the short ovals. Phoenix in Iowa this year has not been great. Uh, I think a lap down at Iowa, and I think he was a lap down at Phoenix, you know, mid-pack. So, I think Ross advantage Rossi uh, for Gateway. Portland's going to be interesting because, as we know, Dixon is one of the few drivers in the series that has experience at Portland, particularly in a championship or IndyCar or whatever you want to refer to them as. That being said, Rossi's been one of the better drivers on the natural terrain road courses this year. Scott Dixon's advantages have kind of come on the street side of things rather than the natural terrain road courses. Uh, but uh, I think you could almost see Rossi taking that race from Dixon as well. Maybe not a win, but I, I wonder. It, it's all going to depend which, which team has a better setup, whether it's Andretti or, or Ganassi uh, for that particular track. And looking at the teammates that Rossi has, I think he's going to have better data, which will probably help them put a baseline setup that's better out of the box than Ganassi. I think, again, that's a Dixon track, and I think we saw in 2015, I think Dixon knows how to points race, particularly with double points, and presumably will still either have an advantage or have such a small disadvantage that as long as he finishes ahead of Rossi, he'll win the championship. So I think that's what we'll see. I think we'll see uh, it be very, very close coming to Sonoma. Dixon will win uh, on double points, unfortunately. Hey, David, just remember, if Dixon wins the championship, it's because of Mike Hall. Nah. <laughs> I'll say I, I was pointing out mid-Ohio, but I mean, that. I'll say this. The one thing that I've noticed is where Dixon is weak, Rossi is strong, and vice versa. They've been playing off of each other's strengths and weaknesses. Well, they're one, two in the championship for a reason. Of the best two cars in the class, in the series, and oh, New York yeah. is third for a reason. I'm gonna point that out now. And this is almost this, this is IndyCar's version of the Vettel versus Hamilton. It really is, and it's a fantastic battle. I mean, as for Gateway, I can see it going more so Rossi, but I can see Dixon being up there as well. I mean, I can see it being a situation like it was at Pocono. Rossi is stronger. But Dixon is still there and minimizes the impact. Portland, I see it going Dixon's way. And Sonoma's a toss-up. If it comes down to a fuel mileage race, it's down. It's Dixon. Well, let's just point out that all... Are you sure about that? <laughs> we're all, we've all just kind of said, you know, Gateway's a Rossi race, and then the next the two after that are probably a toss-up. So Anyway, finally, I'm going to wrap it up for this episode. It's been... Uh, Quite a difficult one. It's going to be a very difficult one for me to edit. Um, it ended but, up being like 45 minutes and we recorded for two hours. Well, yeah. Well, I've been Quite recording true. for an hour and 25, so that'll show you. I mean, if we're only about 40 minutes into this in real life, then there you go. It shows you how much we've had to cut out. Uh, but anyway, appreciate you all <laughs> tuning in. You can check us out on Twitter, um, at Raiders Podcast. Uh, and I'll have these three guys linked uh, at the top right on YouTube, as always. Uh, anyway... Hope you all enjoyed this episode. Uh, next episode is episode 20, so it's not really significant or anything, but hey, we've made it this far. Um, let's try to keep this whole thing Shout continuing. out to Frankie DeStarlo that said we'd go like four episodes. All right, yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Next episode will feature a recast from Gateway, in which I will be attending. That is true. 
That is true. Anyway, I'll thank try to you get all some interviews and shit so. for tuning in. And Kyle and I will be bringing some freaking trophies back from Newcastle. Right. Kyle, yes. you bring in bring in the good word. We got Ooh. the Rain Race podcast on both carts. Anyway, into a victory, we're gonna be slapping Nap Auto Parts stickers on that damn thing. Mike Hall is gonna get me that W. <laughs> uh, thank you all for listening. This has gone into a ramble fest, but we'll catch you in the next episode.